The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. I invite you to follow along with me in your Bible. Again, our reading is from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, Park Church. I hope you're doing well. Uh, My name is Chris Gillespie, and I am a pastor here, uh, but I started March 1st. So a lot of you don't know me, a lot of you haven't seen me. And I'm just going to say right up front, this is really a weird way to be introduced to you, uh, that my first sermon is to a camera. But uh, uh, setting all that aside, I am so excited to open up God's Word with you today. Uh, So if you would, go ahead and open up a Bible to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 16. Um, We are going to be picking back up in our series in Matthew's Gospel Uh, And today we're going to be looking at a really familiar passage that's probably familiar for a lot of us. Um, It's the passage of Scripture where Jesus calls his disciples the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I love this passage. There's so many different ways you could go at it. But I, I just believe when we properly understand what Jesus was getting at with these metaphors of salt and light, it's going to help us better understand the condition of the world, the situation that the world finds itself in. Uh, We're going to better understand the mission of Jesus. And because we better understand the mission of Jesus, we're going to better understand our own mission as followers of Jesus. And so I'm very excited to get into that with you today. So let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll jump right in. Father God, we come before you as needy people. We need your grace. We need your mercy. Father, you you have a high calling for us. Your calling is that we would be the salt of the earth, that we would be the light of the world. And that is massive stuff. And God, that's our true identity. So my prayer today would be that we would hear your word, that by the power of the Spirit, we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, we would be doers of your word. God, you would transform us. And help us, again, by the power of the Spirit, to live more and more into the true identity that you've given us as your followers. So, God, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, in the next few minutes, uh, we have just a a few minutes together. I just want to talk a little bit about three observations from this passage. There's a number we could make. I just want to focus on three. The first one's going to be, uh, we're going to see the, the fact that the world is in desperate need of salt and light. Uh, the second thing we're going to see is that Jesus actually came to be salt and light. He came to meet that need. 
And then third, we'll see that as followers of Jesus, we're called to carry on Jesus' mission in the world by being salt and light. So first, we need to see that the world is in desperate need of salt and light. Now, that's kind of weird. Why? The question we need to ask about that is why? Why is the world in desperate need of salt and light? Well, it's because the world is dark and it's absolutely falling apart. Things are not naturally just getting better. It seems like things are getting worse. Now, there, there have been times in my pastoral ministry, I, I've been a pastor for about 25 years now, and, and there have been seasons where if I would have said that in a sermon to a congregation, I would have felt the need to have to kind of explain that or defend that kind of a statement. And those would have been times where things were going relatively well in the world, right? So uh, the economy would have been good. Uh, there wasn't any major war happening in the world. Um, there was no real uh, massive issues happening, no global pandemics. Well, we're not living in those times right now, right? Actually, we're living in the opposite of those times. There is a global pandemic that we're all being affected by. The economy is in trouble. Unfortunately, people are dying. People continue to get sick. People have lost their jobs. This invisible enemy called the coronavirus has absolutely brought the world to its knees. Now, no, no Christian should be surprised by this. We shouldn't be shocked to hear that. The Bible is clear on this issue. It's because of our sin in the world that things are progressively getting worse. Things are breaking down. This is a key feature of Christian theology. The consequences of sin is devastation and death. The world does not naturally progress towards order Rather, it naturally progresses towards disorder. However, it's not just Christian theology that says that. Okay, it's not just Christians saying that. It's not just the Bible that teaches that. Science actually says that. One of the fundamental principles in science, the second law of thermodynamics, says that the universe is actually winding down, right? It's not winding up. It's, it's winding down. The reality is things left to themselves will ultimately fall apart. Whether it's your car that requires regular maintenance or relationships that require constant communication and effort or your lawn or your body, right? A simple observation of life is that things eventually fall apart if not tended to regularly. And even with regular ongoing attention, things will still fall apart. That's just the reality of a fallen, broken world. And what we're seeing during this time, I believe, is that the, the promise of the enlightenment, which was this utopian world, right? If we could just have enough education and just get enough knowledge and, and learn more about science and, and have enough money, everything would be better. And that promise has fallen flat on its face. Just a second. That promise has fallen flat on its face. And it's into this world that Jesus comes and says to his disciples, 
You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So the question is, why? Why did Jesus use those metaphors to describe his followers? Well, it's because salt and light are what the world desperately needs. Now, let's look in the passage. Let's look at verse 13. Jesus says this to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Notice he's saying, you, my disciples, here's your identity now that you're my followers. You are the salt of the earth. And if that salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There's all kinds of interpretations of what Jesus was saying there, that it's thrown out and trampled under feet. The biggest issue is just this. Salt is made to be salty. The purpose of salt is to be salty. And Jesus is saying, that's your identity. That's why you're still here. I want you to be salty in the world. That's what I've called you to be. You see, in the ancient world, uh, salt was incredibly valuable. I know we hear that today. We're called the salt of the earth. And it's like, wow, what's the big deal about that? That doesn't sound that great. I'm not really flattered by that. All right, but in the ancient world, salt was incredibly valuable. So valuable that sometimes Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt, right? So why was it so valuable? Well, because it acted as a preservative, right? Which it still does. And in a world without electricity, uh, a world without refrigeration, salt was used to preserve perishable foods. Salt is also a seasoning, right? It makes food taste better. Try and imagine for a second eating your McDonald's fries without salt, all right? And don't judge me. Right? You know you love McDonald's fries too. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. But imagine them without salt, right? Salt makes things taste better. That's one of the purposes of salt. So here's what Jesus is saying. You are my people and I've left you in the world to be a preserving agent. The world should be better because you are in it. The environment you find yourself in should be better because... You're in it. Not perfect, but better, right? And then he talks about you are the light of the world. Look down in verse 14. Jesus, again, speaking to his disciples, says, you are the light of the world. Disciples, here's your identity. You are the light of the world. That's who you are. You're a city set on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Why? Well, because the purpose of light is to shine in the darkness, right? So you don't cover it up. You don't hide it. You never light a lamp and then cover it up with a basket. But on it, you put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In that same way, notice the metaphor. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Here, the emphasis is on how we live, right? And the, and the desire is that we, we live out of this new identity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're salt, right? We're preserving, we're making things better. We're, we're helping kind of keep things together. We're light. And so God's light is shining through us 
And people are seeing this light and they're being drawn uh, by God's grace to, to God's truth. It says, let them see that light. Okay, it, it, the emphasis is on what we do so that they may see your good works and then give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus is saying to his followers this. It's by implication, obviously. The world is dark. The world's natural progression is to disorder and disorientation. Have you ever been in a really, really dark room or maybe like a dark cave and you couldn't even see your hands in front of your face? Uh, not only do you not know where you're going, not only can you not see, it's just so disorienting. I don't know if you've ever done that, but that's what it does. That's what darkness does. You can't see, and it's absolutely disorienting. And, and Jesus is saying, that's what the world's like, and that's why I've placed you here, to live in the truth, to live out your identity, and let that light shine so that people can move from darkness to light. See, often in the Bible, light is associated with truth and clarity. And the opposite of that, obviously, is darkness. And darkness is associated with sin and destruction and lies. So in essence, Jesus is saying to his followers, the darkness should be loosening its grips on the hearts and minds of people because of the light that is emanating from our lives. And then number two, second observation. Jesus came to be salt and light. So, so what I love about this is Jesus is not asking us to be anything he, has, he isn't. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. Jesus came to be salt and light. You see, the answer to this broken world, this, this world that's fallen apart, this world that's dark, is not, here's, this is not the answer. It's not us going inside of ourselves and finding some kind of truth, finding some kind of power that we generate ourselves. We alone cannot fix this problem. That's why Jesus came. He came because the world he loved so much was falling apart. People were trapped in darkness. We were believing lies. And so according to the Apostle John in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and there's verse 14. Let me read this to you. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. And here's the good news. Listen to this. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. And the darkness did not overcome it. And the word, in verse 14, Jesus here is called the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Light is always associated with glory, God's glory. The glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came as the light of the world to call people out of the darkness into his glorious light. But he also came to be salt. There isn't a passage of scripture in the Bible that says Jesus was also the salt of the earth, like it does say that Jesus was the light of the world. But he came to absolutely destroy the power of sin and corruption. He came to repair what's been broken. He came to put everything back 
together, right? So Paul says it like this in Colossians 1, 17, referring to Christ. He says, he is before all things and in him things hold together. Isn't that awesome? In him all things hold together. And the beauty is one day we'll re- he's going to return and renew his creation. And that, by the way, is the promise of Easter. Uh, Gary talked about this last week. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we too are going to experience resurrection and renewal. But not just us, not just humanity. All of creation will be renewed because the tomb is empty and Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus came to be salt and light. He has already launched the new creation in his resurrection. And he's going to come and consummate that when he returns. And then quickly, the third observation is this. Jesus' followers are called to carry on his mission in the world. All those things that Jesus came to do, we are to carry them on as salt and light as his followers. Jesus came to be salt and light. And we are called to continue that mission until we see him face to face, even in times of shelter in place and the coronavirus. This calling, this identity to be be salt and light is not removed from us. This is who we are. This is what we're called to do. Now, I want to point out, it seems like the obvious, but just notice in the passage here, chapter 5, who Jesus is talking to and who Jesus is not talking to. Look back at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Notice the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at how Jesus starts his most famous sermon. Notice who he's talking to. So in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, disciples crowd around him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. If you follow that logic carefully, the them there is referring back to his disciples. The, the Sermon on the Mount was directed to his disciples, though all the people around him could hear it. It was directed to his disciples. That was the original audience. That's who he was talking to. He was speaking to his disciples, his followers. He's not actually calling the crowd salt and light. He's speaking to his disciples. Only his followers can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Notice that. Look in verse 13. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, you, my disciples, are the salt of the earth. You, 14, you, my disciples, are the light of the world. That's who he's talking to. The you there is the disciples. Now, how can that be possible? How can we be salt and light? Well, it's possible because by grace, through faith, his identity has now become our identity. And it's not because we earned it. It's not because we're super spiritual. This is true of all believers. Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ receives the identity of Jesus, receives the perfection and the holiness. The way I like to explain it is, When the Father looks at us, he looks through the lens of Jesus. Jesus' identity has now become ours. 
And it's purely by God's grace that we receive by faith. So, so therefore, because his identity is ours, he was the light of the world, he is the salt of the earth, now that identity has been transferred to us. We now, he's now saying we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. So his mission becomes our mission. He is the light of the world. So we are now the light of the world. He is the salt of the earth. So we are now the salt of the earth. And what does that mean for us? It means a lot of things. But this means that our lives should be helping people who are trapped in darkness. How we live, we live in the light, we live in the truth. It should be helping people who are trapped in this darkness to see a little glimpse of the goodness and glory of God. Our lives should be like a city set on a hill. That's what he says in uh, verse 14. You're a city set on a hill and it can't be hidden. That's what our lives ought to be like. And you can't hide that in a dark world. The light should just be emanating from us. So, so to make it real practical, this means that every, envi every environment we find ourselves in, our homes, our apartments, uh, our relationships, our classrooms, our workplaces, here's what it means. All of those places should be a little bit better because we are there acting as a preserving agent. Those environments should be a little bit better because as the salt of the earth, we are seasoning those places in God's love and God's grace and God's truth. In other words, Jesus is calling us just to be who we are, who we truly are. We are salt and light. We're ambassadors of God's grace and his truth. And in so doing, God's gonna be glorified, right? That's what this is all about, God getting glory. Look at that in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Notice, so that. Let your light shine. Don't hide it. Live out of your new identity in Christ. Be who you really are for the purpose of God getting glory. Look at that. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ultimately, it's about God getting the glory that he is due. God gets the glory and we're going to experience the life that Jesus promised us in John chapter 10, 10. Here, Jesus is quoted as saying, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the enemy. Ultimately, that's talking about Satan. So he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, here's what I've come to do. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So if you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm just gonna be honest with you, I, I don't have a sense of purpose, I, I lack direction. Honestly, life is boring to me. I'm just saying, man, then you're not living out of the identity that Jesus has given you. you you're missing out. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life and have it abundantly. Life that is really life is found in Christ in living out of that identity as salt and light in the world. And there's no greater adventure to be found than following Christ. Uh, many years ago, I, I've been a pastor for a long time. So this was probably 20 years ago or so. Um, I went to a pastor's conference in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was at a huge church there. I mean, this church is massive. It literally takes up multiple blocks 
downtown Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and so it was kind of a long conference. It's like a five-day conference. And I think I was on like day three. Um, and I had just sat through so many messages and so many lectures. And I just needed to get outside and get some fresh air. And so I walk outside of this massive church auditorium. I mean, I really think it, I think it seats around 8,000 people. So it's a massive church. And I walked outside and I kind of was trying to find some shade because it was Florida and it was kind of warm. And so I walked behind the building and found some shade. And across the street, there was a little, there was an overpass. It was just right, right in the middle of downtown. There was an overpass right across the street from the church. And underneath the overpass in the shade, I noticed a number of people who looked like they're they they homeless. And so I just kind of sat there and watched. And then I saw a gentleman walk across the street to the same sidewalk that I was on, right next to the church. And I, and I saw him bend over and pick something up. And it, it looked like a baggie, like a Ziploc bag. He opened up the bag and, and he took it out and he began to eat it. And he started kind of walking in my direction. So he was coming right at me and I'm just standing there and I'm watching him. And as he got closer to me, uh, I noticed what he was eating. It, was, it looked like a ham sandwich with mayonnaise on it. Okay, so now just go there with me for a minute. Imagine a warm, right, Florida day, baking in the sun, baking in the heat, a ham sandwich with mayonnaise locked up in a Ziploc bag, right? That's not a pretty sight. And I, I don't even know what it would have tasted like. I don't know how long it was laying there. I, I don't know. But in that moment, it was as if, I heard God's audible voice. I didn't hear his audible voice, but this is 20 some years ago. And it was like yesterday, what the, the impression it made on me. Cause here I was leaning up against the wall of the largest church I had ever seen at that point. It could seat like 8,000 people. Inside were thousands of pastors. And outside was this gentleman having to resort to eating food off the ground. And in that moment, God spoke to me and said, Chris, I don't ever want this to be true of you, right? I don't ever want you to be so isolated in the life of the church and doing churchy things and focusing on other believers to the point so that you don't see the needs of the world outside. You don't see the darkness of the world. You kind of lose sight of that or you're hiding away from the world. And when you have an opportunity to lead a church, make sure that that church understands it exists for more than just caring for itself. It is to exist for the good of the world. It was uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, the church is only truly the church when it exists for others. The church is only truly the church when it exists for others. Now, where would Bonhoeffer have gotten that from? Well, the Bible, specifically Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Notice it says, you are the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church, Right? You are the light of the world, not just the light of the church. We are called to not be hidden away. We're called to be salt in the earth, not salt in the salt shaker. 
We're called to be the light of the world, not light that's hidden. We're to be set on a hill, letting our light shine. We're not to be hidden away. We're not to be secluded. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We're called to live out of our true identity in Jesus, in the world, for the glory of God and the joy of all people. May that always be so of Park Church. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we think about, again, what you've called us to, we know that we cannot do this in our own strength. It's impossible for, this, for us to do this in our own strength. So Spirit, I ask right now, you would convict us in ways, Lord, that, that we might be hiding away. We might be, we might be scared of the world or think the world's too dark and we want to just hang out with other believers and, and kind of hide within the walls of the church. God, don't let us be that way. Help us to live into our true identity of the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Not just uh, so that, that we get credit and we get glory. No, Lord, so that you get glory as your word talks about, that you are praised and others experience the joy of the life that is really life that's only found in Jesus. God, would you do that great work in us and may Park Church never be the same because we truly understand who we are in your son. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.